Chapter 24 of Clinical Medicine for Nurses by Paul H. Ringer, A.B., M.D. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter 24 Measles. Measles is an epidemic contagious disease and is more widespread than any other eruptive fever. Incubation, i.e., from date of exposure to onset of catarrhal symptoms, from 11 to 14 days. Invasion, i.e., from onset of catarrhal symptoms to the development of the rash, usually 3 to 4 days. Eruption, i.e., duration of the rash, 4 to 6 days. Disquamation, i.e., peeling, 1 to 2 weeks. Etiology, the essential cause is unknown, though it is believed to be some germ as yet not isolated. Only a short exposure is necessary for its communication, and close proximity to the infected individual is not necessary. The disease is highly contagious from the onset of the catarrhal symptoms, and as the patient is not ill and confined to the house at that time, measles is spread on all sides. After the disappearance of the rash and catarrhal symptoms, the communicability rapidly decreases, and during desquamation is but slight. Generally speaking, the duration of the infective period is three weeks. Children are usually attacked. Very young infants are not as susceptible to measles as those somewhat older, but in the very young the disease is a serious matter. The vast majority of those having measles are under 12 years of age. One attack usually produces an immunity to measles, but there are many exceptions to this rule, and two, and even three attacks are not very uncommon. Symptoms. Average attack. The disease is ushered in with symptoms of a diffuse catarrh of the upper respiratory tract. The patient has a running nose, running eyes, a sore throat with redness of the tonsils and soft palate, a hoarse, harsh cough, and in a day or so, some sputum. The catarrhal process spreads to the bronchial tubes, and bronchitis is present so frequently as to be looked upon as a symptom of measles, and not as a complication. The temperature rises gradually until the appearance of the rash reaches about 104 degrees as a maximum, and lasts in all usually about a week, varying from five to nine days. At first there is some dullness, pain in the back, headache, and general malaise, feelings that accompany any moderate rise of temperature, and that present no characteristic features. Vomiting and diarrhea are rarely seen, save in the severer forms. Before the appearance of the rash, there is but one sign that will point, without question of doubt, to measles. The sign is complex spots, bluish-gray spots seen against a red background on the mucous membrane of the cheeks and lips. The rash of measles appears, as a rule, on the fourth day of the disease. It is known as a maculopapular rash. It appears first behind the ears, around the neck, and at the roots of the hair, as small, dark red spots, 
not numerous, not elevated, and looking somewhat like flea bites. In twenty-four hours, the macules are numerous, and many have become papules. The rash spreads rapidly to the chest, arms, trunk, and eventually involves the whole body within thirty-six hours. The papules, which have at first been single, may fuse, and in so doing, often assume a crescentric form. At the height of the disease, the patient may be so disfigured by the rash as to be unrecognizable. The skin is swollen, there is great itching, the eyes are red and very sensitive to light, and, as a rule, there is a conjunctivitis with the formation of mucopus. Pain on swallowing and swelling of the cervical glands are common. With the fading of the rash, the temperature drops gradually and reaches normal in from two to three days. Also, with the fading of the rash, desquamation or peeling sets in. This is first noticed on the face and neck and is in the form of fine, branny scales, never in large patches, as in the case in scarlet fever. As mentioned before, desquamation lasts from one to two weeks, usually about ten days. Some cases of measles are so mild that were it not for other cases in the family or immediate neighborhood, they could not be recognized. On the other hand, other cases are so severe that either the patient is overcome by the systemic poison within a few days, or else the whole force of the infection seems to be expended upon the lungs, and the case is more one of bronchopneumonia than measles. Some severe cases have a hemorrhagic rash, others have convulsions and delirium, with all the signs of intense general poisoning. Complications 1. Bronchopneumonia frequent and dangerous. The symptoms that will cause the nurse to suspect a bronchopneumonia are a. Rise in temperature. b. Rise in pulse rate. c. Rise in rate of respiration. d. Increase in cough and in older children in expectoration. e. Appearance of slight cyanosis in young children or in the very delicate. 2. Otitis media, also frequent, but not as dangerous as bronchopneumonia. Older children will usually complain of pain in the ear, and thus the nature of the trouble can be suspected. But in very young children and in infants, the nurse must be constantly on guard for some change in her patient that will make her suspect otitis media. In the very young, the following symptoms are suggestive. A. Rise in temperature not traceable to the bowels or lungs. B. Fretful and persistent crying. C. Difficulty in taking the bottle in infants. D. At times evident pain and tenderness in the region of the ear. With such symptoms, the nurse should at once call the physician who will make the diagnosis by examination of the ear through an ear speculum. Diphtheria and scarlet fever may complicate measles. Kidney complications, nephritis, are rare, as are heart affections. 
Laryngitis is present in practically every case. When membranous laryngitis occurs, it is caused either by the diphtheria bacillus or the streptococcus, and the symptoms are those described under laryngeal diphtheria. Prognosis. The outlook in the better class of private practice is generally good in children over three years of age. In those younger, mortality is fairly high. In those over three, the average mortality is from four to six percent, and often it does not reach these figures. In institutions, the picture is reversed, largely because the patients come from the poorer walks of life, are underfed, and have poor resistance. Here, measles plays great havoc. In some institutional epidemics, the mortality ranging from 15 to 35 percent. Prophylaxis. Room quarantine is required by law for a variable period depending upon the ruling of the local board of health. As the details for maintaining this quarantine are the same, save in point of time, as for scarlet fever and diphtheria, they have been given but once, and will be found in the chapter on scarlet fever. Treatment. Measles is a self-limited disease, and we have no means at our command to shorten or modify it. Treatment is, therefore, wholly symptomatic. The room should be darkened, especially in summer, by means of blinds or green shades, and the electric bulb or lamp covered with a red shade in order to lessen all possible irritation of the eyes. An initial purge with calomel, followed by a saline or castor oil, is usually given. If the eyes are painful, ice-cold cloths frequently give relief, and the mucopus appearing as a result of the conjunctivitis should be wiped away with small bits of old linen moistened in a solution of boric acid. Vaseline may be freely applied to the lids. Vaseline or cocoa butter should be rubbed over the child's entire body in order to allay itching. The diet should at first be liquid. Later in the disease, eggs, toast, cereals, gruels, ice cream, and crackers may be added. After the appearance of the rash, a daily warm bath should be given in addition to the injunction above referred to. The cough will usually need some treatment. Generally, opium in some form is given either as codeine or heroin combined with an expectorant mixture. In cases of excessively high fever, 105 degrees or over, recourse is usually had to cold sponges with alcohol, one part, water, three parts. With failing heart, stimulation is indicated, though there is rarely need for this, save in the presence of bronchopneumonia, when the treatment becomes that of the complication rather than that of measles. The eyes must not be subjected to any undue strain for several weeks after measles, and during and after convalescence the child must be carefully watched, and every precaution taken against catching cold, for the mucous membrane of the entire respiratory tract is 
in a condition of lowered resistance and is particularly susceptible to all manner of infection. If cough continues for any considerable length of time after recovery from measles, the possibility of tuberculosis must be borne in mind, this disease being one of the most frequent sequels of measles. End of chapter 24